You're listening to the Comms Risk Podcast. Hello, I'm Eric Puskowns, your host for episode 24 of the Comms Risk Podcast. Joining us from the USA is my co-host, Dan Baker, founder of the Technology Research Institute and editor of the Black Swan Journal. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Dan, today's guest is Rob Chapman, a principal consultant at Cartesian. With a long track record in revenue assurance and billing, Rob's previously worked with TalkTalk, Verizon, Energis, and Hutchinson. However, we're not going to talk to Rob about any of the paid work he's ever done for telcos, but rather what he does for them on a voluntary basis as chairman of the London-based Risk and Assurance Group. Cartesian have hosted this event since its inception, but as you know, Dan, there's never been a commercial angle to its proceedings. If anything, I'm always amazed at how so many telco managers can walk into Cartesian's London offices on the morning, remain in their conference room the whole day, chatting to each other and to the various consultants and representatives of other vendors who take part, and then they leave in the early evening without once fearing they'll be cornered by the Cartesian sales staff who are also based in that building. We're going to talk to Rob about the history and the future of the Risk and Assurance Group, formerly called the Revenue Assurance Group, but affectionately known as the RAG. And we'll ask Rob why he thinks there is an increasing need for collaboration and knowledge sharing between professionals. But before we do, I know those topics are also close to your heart, Dan. Yes, these events are very close to my heart. And uh, unfortunately, here in the U.S., we lost a lot of these key events. For instance, the former billing world has vanished. Telestrategies used to put on a couple of revenue assurance events, maybe once every couple of years, and those are gone. And, um, you know, you have to say, I think that a lot of factors have come into the problem. Number one is the hassle of travel. Uh, getting on airplanes is not as fun as it used to be. Lots of security, lots of time wasted getting to where you want to go. Um, but one of the things that's encouraging is that the uh, the price of gasoline has come down quite a bit. And we're now down to something like $2 a gallon, which is unbelievably low price compared to the almost $4 a gallon we had about four or five years ago. So maybe uh, with the jet fuel costs coming down, travel uh, these events might become more profitable for folks to start. Um, in any case, you're talking about travel, um, you know, that's a, that's a hassle. And also you've got the web is a tremendous competitor to local events. But I think the web is never going to be quite as good as you'd like it to be, because even though there's a lot of information available, anything you really want to know on, from a professional basis on how to do something is not covered on things like Wikipedia. Um, Solution vendor websites are good, however, but um, I think the presumption is that industry problems are are like nails, and you know a software vendor has has only hammers to address those problems. Right, the uh, nails are only addressed by hammers. But if you've got a screw that you need to screw into the into the wood, you're out of luck because um, uh, software vendors don't have screwdrivers. And really, what I'm getting at here with this little metaphor course is that. Um, the non-automated side of what people have to do, what professionals need to do in the telco industry is kind of neglected. It's, it's not something you uh, that people advertise in magazines or want to talk about in the major journals. And so 
the training, best practices, knowledge of the issues is crucial, but it's not really being covered adequately. And so I think events like uh, like RAG are, are, are crucial you know, going forward because of the automation that's happening in the industry on the software side. And in effect, what's going to happen is you're going to have less people. A lot of people are going to be out of work and you're going to have a small core of really dedicated and very smart professionals doing the job of revenue assurance, risk management, and what have you. So I'm eager to hear what, uh, what Rob has to say and his plans for the RAG. Thanks, Dan. Let's hear the interview, which begins with me asking how and why Rob volunteered to chair the RAG. So Rob, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, you are the chairman of the RAG, what's now known as the Risk and Assurance Group, and you've been in that role for quite a while, Rob, but um, this is an entity that some people would be familiar with, some people maybe haven't heard of. What is the RAG, and how did you get to be chairman, Rob? I, I think more possibly more luck than judgment, um, right place at the right time, and uh, hopefully a, a vision for seeing it change. Um, so yeah, you're right, I've been RAG chairman now for, I think, probably coming on three years. Um, the, the, the RAG as, a, as an organisation um, has always had a committee, uh, and the committee members um, have always consisted of members of the group, which does tend to change once in a while. Um, we thought that it would be a good idea to change the committee around a bit and try and breathe a bit more life back into RAG. Um, and as part of that, it seemed to make sense that I would get more hands-on involved um, on it and uh, to try and help lead it and steer it in a uh, forward-thinking direction. So I was um, nominated nominated, and then voted in as chairman for, for the RAG by the other committee members at the time. And how long have you been chairman now then, Robin? Um, it, must be, uh, it must be almost three years. Three years. How have things changed during the three years that you've... Uh, well, how, you know, tell me a little bit about your perceptions of what RAG was when you came into the role and how things have changed over that sure. time. So, so RAG, um, as, as most most people will be familiar with, RAG has been around since 2004. Um, it was originally the brainchild of Alan Strong um, of Cartesian back in the day, and it was very much centred around the UK market of telco. Um, it was a UK operators only involved and only revenue assurance um, management were invited. Um, it's always run on three meetings per year. Um, so there's, there's a lot of time invested in it. But as time wore on and as the years passed, uh, it tended to, we tended to see that it was the same people again and again. And we really needed to make sure that we were not just growing the group to have more people in it and, and a better diversity of people and role and skill set, um, but also um, to make sure that we were evolving along with the telecommunications market and technologies. So that's really that's really what we've what we've been trying to do over the last few years, as, as obviously you're very aware as one of the committee members. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and how long has the the rug been going for? Is it in its twelfth year now? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it it will be twelve years around summertime this year. Wow. Um, which is phenomenal. I think. I think it's uh, certainly whenever I've said that it is the longest standing revenue assurance group and forum in the world. Um, it's never been challenged. Um, I, I can't think of any other groups in, in telecoms, uh, certainly for revenue assurance or, or risk, um, that have been around and persisted for this length of time. And certainly one that would have met so you know consistently, so reliably, regularly over that period. So, so Dan, is, I, Dan, I'd like to bring you in here a little bit here to mm. get your kind of feelings on this. So we're talking about a group here that's been running for 12 years. Now, obviously, you are a very experienced professional working in the technology realm. How does 
a 12-year collaborative organization like this compared to your experience of how long or what other kinds of bodies are out there and how long they tend to last and their focus on areas like this? Well, it's, of course, very rare. And um, I think, you know, the RAG is to be congratulated on being able to keep the, the banner flying for so long. I mean, uh, you know, there have been long – in the U.S., there's been a um, – you know, we had the, the BOSS shows, you know, which, um, you know, used to be Billing World and then the new publisher Virgo picked it up and changed the name to, to Boss. But, you know, it was like a lot of things in the telecom industry. The, the topic is too broad to really, you know, have a nice focus. And uh, that's what I like about what RAG is doing, you know, a tight focus, you know, revenue assurance and related communications risk type problems, talking about those I think that's where we're headed today, uh, you know, in this world. And forget about doing these broad brush. I mean, obviously, the big publishers, the big conference producers, they want to, you know, produce the the, you know, the MWCs and so forth. You know, that, that's great. But what we really need is this tight focus stuff that uh, RAG is doing. It's, it's quite a different beast, isn't it, Rob, from the typical conference? Because the conference is, you know, run usually for profit uh, by an independent company, whereas this is very much more just a coming together of people who want to hold a meeting, which is both an advantage and a disadvantage. I don't know if you want to comment on some of the benefits and some of the disadvantages of running it the way that it's been run. Um, disadvantages are, to my mind, you know, material disadvantages are, are very, very limited. Um, but the, the advantages is where I constantly focus on because, and, and as, as you said, Dan, you rightly pointed out that it's, telecoms is such a broad um, possibility that actually been able to focus down and hone in on key points is, is what's kept it going. Um, it's not like other conferences. It happens three times a year for a start. So there's, there's a constant cycle of new information uh, coming through. And that's really where the advantage is that we're not having to wait a year to discuss items that have occurred in the last eight, 12 months and that are coming out in the next two or three. It, it is a constant feed of information and a stream of knowledge. Mm. You don't see any disadvantages at all, there, Rob. I mean, I, I think well, it takes it takes time. <laughs> it takes time and time and effort to, to organise it and, and to repeat it three times a year um, can be can be quite labour intensive. Yes, and then of course the point is, I guess, there that it's all volunteers. You know, yes. even even to the extent to which your employer Cartesian supports the events, it's very much your time rather than employee time work time that's being put into it so everybody on the committee and everybody who's speaking there's no one really being paid or looking for a profit here which of course has the downside that there's no budget for marketing or anything like that yeah the, the, the funding is is an issue um and we do what we can but uh, the, the plus side about there not being salaried activity going on um is that people are involved because they want to be involved so it automatically people come with a certain vision and a passion to, to see change and to discuss what's going on that they and that again is testament to how it's lasted 12 years i think you guys probably could get away with having a keynote come in uh, you know maybe one of the vendors would like to speak to the group and you know actually get a little income from that and you know that might i think people like having that you know you know as long as it's done in a um you know, not too long a time, you know, maybe 15 to 20 minutes, you know, get a vendor come up there. And so it doesn't spoil the objectivity of the program, but it might, I think people would appreciate that actually, the, you know, as long as it's couched in the right way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it's just one of the things we were very keen to do. I think uh, it, was, it was, again, it was around 2013 when we decided to open up the group to, to all who would be interested in going. Obviously, it has been, um, it was initiated and has been supported by Cartesian uh, since its inception. Um, but again, discussing with the committee and being able to open it up and open the floor up to not just um, new SMEs and non-RA personnel, but also to other vendors, you know, Cartesian competitors, um, that, that's been really beneficial. And now we have that dynamic and understanding within the group. So we, we do get a lot of the vendors to come in and, and speak. But again, we're, we're very, very keen to try and make sure that it, it, keeps, it keeps its integrity by making sure that we do not have marketing and sales activity so that the, the operators in the, in the group and in the meetings aren't feeling as though they're being pitched at. Um, whilst trying to make sure that we um, maintain the quality of the speakers, it's quite a difficult balancing act. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, I must admit, I, I, my personal feeling is that um, I think the vendors, a lot of the vendors who turn up, really like the fact that there's not such a hard sell. Oddly enough, yeah. um, but, and partly the pressure is off them because if they're doing a commercially run conference, they're paying thousands of dollars to be sponsors of that event. So they have to get a return for turning up. Whereas maybe when they attend this event, it's a salesman and he's taking a day out of his calendar to come along. But he's not having to justify the budget that's been thrown into the event. And he can spend time listening to customers and hearing about their problems and the solutions that they want and what challenges they face, which, of course, is a great source of market intelligence. I mean, this is something that vendors keep almost complaining about sometimes i've heard vendors complaining almost to their customers tell us more about your problems so we can go make something to help you solve those problems and so it's very important actually to have a relaxed environment where telcos feel that they can speak as opposed to being spoken at all the time by people who are trying to pitch something i think that's really one of the the big virtues uh, of the, of the event, but still, of course, you know, you, you know, it's still very telco driven, isn't it, Rob? The, the it, event. It, it is very telco driven, and uh, and that does it, it, it's a format that seems to work. So it's, it's very much a case of if it ain't broke, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but of course, we still want to evolve. Mm. Um, we're seeing that over a period of, of time and over a period of the last few years, as we've opened up the group, uh, we've seen the numbers swell, um, meeting on meeting. Um, quite consistently, and and it's not just the same old faces. Every time, you know, there's a new set of people coming in as well. Um, so, what, one of the objectives of 2016 is to try and increase that maturity of the group and expand it again to to get more people coming along. Um, Dan, going back to your point around trying to monetize a little bit, um, it is something we may have to then start doing, not necessarily to charge uh, operators attending, um, but to, to make sure that vendors who are benefiting from that level of market and client intelligence um, are, are contributing not for the profit of the organization and not for uh, a profit for Cartesian, but just to make sure that the costs are covered so that we can continue our efforts in, in the group. Yeah, that's that's great. And I would also encourage you to reach out to guys like me. I mean, um, you know, the content of the of your conference could be converted into, you know, let's say um, post post-meeting, you know, minutes and things that would be very valuable to the people attending and also the vendors and so forth. And so, you know, I, I think um, I would be willing to help, you know, market this thing and expose it more as long as I can get some, you know, content to use in my research reports. Thanks, Dan. 
Well, I mean, I think Dan's got a good point there. He's actually, I think you need to respond a bit more to that, Rob. I'm going to thrill you at that one because, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, because I'm I think, you know, I mean, let's let's talk a bit about how this has been a meeting, which has been very much a, a kind of informal affair, but nevertheless a regular gathering of people in the room. However, one of the downsides is that being a gathering of people in the room, if you can't get to the room, then you can't take part. So what can the rag do to maybe, uh, you know, I've invited you onto the podcast today so we can get your voice out to people who don't perhaps always have the opportunity to fly into London and join the meeting. So, you know, what can be done to maybe make it easier for those people to take part or to receive some of the benefit of what's taking, taking part in rag? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so certainly because it's always London-based, um, it's very much a local a local event that goes on. Um, it does it does sort of smack a little bit of, of not deliberate um, exclusivity, but exclusivity nonetheless. Um, it's very very difficult for people to to travel in for for conferences like this, especially single day events that we have. So yeah, there's definitely an opportunity that we could look to produce more um, more artifacts after each of the events, as you suggested, Dan. You know, minutes uh, minutes around it, and more of a content focus that's available to to external parties and others interested in joining. And are there yeah. any plans to make it easy for people to to come along to the meeting? So we we have been we have been as as a committee um, discussing the possibility of actually um, having our summer event, our mid year event, um, and, and increasing it from a single day to a two day activity. Um, with a view to try and get more attention and, and draw more people in, um, make it an, an easier argument for them to justify getting over to the UK, coming along to the events. Um, with, uh, there are other facilities as well. I mean, we, we work in telecommunications, so, and we're using a, we're using a, an IP system right now to have our conversation. So again, there is the possibility of being able to have uh, video conferencing in the room for certain sessions, and certainly to allow that um, internet sharing. Now, now, Dan, I know that you've, you've talked a little bit sometimes about having heard about RAG and actually participated by uh, remote, remotely speaking to the RAG audience. You've talked sometimes about there were maybe some possibility or some, you know, some market for a RAG-like event in the United States of America. Do you want to talk a little bit about what would be the uh, the need for it in America, or and also maybe some of the kind of um, some kind of the obstacles that need to be overcome if that was to take place? I'm thinking particularly here that RAG in the UK works well because the UK telecoms industry has a lot of companies all based around the Greater London area, which gives you a great critical mass to start with. Whereas maybe that's a little bit of a problem in the United States of America, bringing people together into the same space. Yeah. Um... The great thing about the United States, of course, is that we have this common language and culture and, it, you know, you can hold a conference anywhere in the United States and, you know, people understand very well, you know, the, um, it, yeah, it's the same way in the UK. But I think if you if you had it in the US, you'd have to be more regional. You'd have to do like New Jersey area. You'd have to do Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Dallas, maybe the West Coast, maybe Seattle. Um, I have seen a, a – I, attended a, a, a very successful, very small group with uh, some of the largest um, um, operators in the country, got together, uh, sponsored by um, Subex, put it together. And, you know, you had folks like Kathy Romano, you had, um, uh, you know, at the time it was, uh, it was Quest, and um, a very successful small one-day event. And there's a lot of power in that, you know, just people exchanging ideas. I mean, a lot of great 
great things you learn by doing that. So I would love to find a way to make that happen. You know, admittedly, uh, I'm not going to be pushing it unless I can find some sort of a commercial angle. But I've often thought, yeah, why not do a cross-city, you know, a kind of event where, you know, you're meeting at various times and maybe I would, you know, provide some of my research, you know, as an incentive for people to come to the event and get uh, one or two vendor sponsors to kind of, you know, pay for the expenses. That would be a great thing, and I'd love to do that if I could find an angle. And, um, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that we've, we've talked about, um, I think, on the committee before. Can we can we breach borders internationally? Can we do this elsewhere? Um, it's something that Cartesian also um, was discussed with Cartesian um, quite a while back because we clearly have a, a U.S. presence um, and we have a lot of experts out there. Is it something we could do? And I think we, d- we discussed the possibility not of, of a, a centrally hosted one, but perhaps more of a sort of a, a rag roadshow activity. Hmm. Where we would be able to you know, go move from location to location, so that it was making it more local for interested parties to be able to attend. Well, I think you know the 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 trick, the challenge with all of these things is that initial momentum, isn't it? The the thing that makes the thing that you know one of the reasons people keep coming back to the rag meeting in London three times a year is that it already exists. They're already used to going. It's already something that they look forward to and is in their diary. And even if they move out of a role, then perhaps their successor and naturally just slips into coming along to their rag, rag because they want to find out the same kind of sources of information that they've had in the past. So being established helps to keep going. Whereas, you know, if you were to just start tomorrow and there were no rag and you had to try to get people to turn to a meeting, it'd be very hard to explain why they should come along or, or to give them the sense of what they would, what that would happen. Whilst they're there, so I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about that, Rob, as to yeah, you know how how what is it that you would convey to people before, we say, you did a roadshow event, which would say what is actually going to happen at this roadshow meeting? What is it like, and how does it differ from other events? Uh, well, it, it, you're absolutely right in terms of starting something up from scratch and yeah, be very very difficult. Rag, Rag has been established for ages, um, many years now. It, it has its branding; people are aware of it, and I think that being able to then use that awareness. Um, to be able to perform something like a roadshow, show that we as a mature a mature group that have been around for a while are, are going to be now doing this somewhere local to you. That that leaves us already established. In terms of how it would actually work, um, I don't think I've, I've thought about that in enough detail to be able to effectively comment. But what would the marketing pitch be, though, Rob? I mean, what what is it that in your mind stands out as being the difference between RAG and, say, all those wow. events where you've got those glossy brochures and fantastic <laughs> agendas and speakers from all around the world. What's the difference? I, th- I think the key messages and, and the core draw for it are going to be the, the format we have. You know, it's, it's free to attend, um, certainly as it is at the moment. It's free to attend, so there's no outlay. It is a marketing and a sales-free environment, even if there are vendors there. So, again, we, we maintain that relaxed and, and more informal approach. Um, Excuse me. Um, sorry. And about the particip- how about the participation <laughs> in the room? You know, how does that compare to a typical conference? Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's far more interactive, and, and that comes from a certain amount of the sense of informality, and because it's quite um, it's quite an intimate environment. Um, so that level of interaction is in, is encouraged. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, cross-fertilization as well. So as people are, are thinking and listening and asking questions, uh, that tends to fire other people up as well. Um, and so we, we get a lot of a lot of good conversation comes both within the presentations and and immediately after them. Um, it's it's quite difficult sometimes to manage the timings because people people don't want to stop talking about these things. They're so interesting. I have to say that you know I, I admit that I've often been wrong when I've debated with you about the timings of our agenda because quite often you've said we can only have one talk per hour. And I say, well, that's ridiculous. Look at average conference. They pack him in much more than one talk per hour. Well, actually, you're right. You can't do more than one talk per hour in RAG because the the conversation that takes place afterwards with the speaker and the audience is so extensive. You couldn't possibly run to schedule if you tried and, to pack it in any more than that. It's and, and that's exactly rough. exactly what we wanted to do as a, as a format and what I want to see as a format, that, that, that interactive nature. Um, is again key to the success of keeping people coming back. Um, they get to learn, they get to talk, and they get to share. Uh, it's, it's definitely two two way communication between presenter and audience. Now, Dan, and, and obviously you're very experienced at you know attending events, and you have a lot of exposure. To that you know, how does this compare in your experience to how other events are run? I mean, are, are there events that stand out in your mind as being very strong with this level of interaction? Uh, or is it hard to find events where you know the audience participates that much? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it depends. I mean, you talk about. I just came back in, from a, a big event in Dallas called the MEF, uh, the Metro Ethernet Forum. About a thousand people were at the keynote event. I mean, there was no audience participation, but um, there was excellent carrier participation among real experts in the panels and they really did talk about the limitations, not just the, you know, advantages of uh, moving towards uh, virtual environments and so forth. This is of course the network side of the, of the, of the house. So yeah, I mean the interactive or the real, um, real opinion. Yeah. That's where it's all at. Now I just had a wild notion as I'm, as I'm hearing you guys talk and I said, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, um, you could have constantly be able to survey people you know, within a conference session, you know what I mean? Um, and also the notion of doing it anonymously, you know, I mean, to answering questions and seeing how many people would agree. Or, you know, I mean, one of the beauties of uh, these uh, internet forums that so many of us participate in is, um, you know, a lot of them are, are anonymous, and you'd be surprised how. How, how, how uh, open people are when they're anonymous and the, and the issues really come out even better than they do when you've got somebody's face and everybody's kind of looking at you and <laughs> saying, oh, he believes that, you know? Yeah, the, the, the anonymity does tend, to, does tend to drive a lot of answers. But, but again, I mean, certainly the, the rank format we have at the moment and, and with it being quite an intimate environment um, and a safe one at that, um, where people can speak freely and candidly, um, we do get a lot of what I would expect to be uh, anonymous level feedback just spoken out in the room. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's great for that. But I, I think you're, you're definitely onto something. We have used um, online and real time survey activities and survey services before um, to help people ask questions, and we offer it to the presenters so that they can encourage um, interaction throughout the presentations. Um, we've also used it for. Um, looking at the next hot topics, what, what is it the people in the room want to see? Which is, it comes down to another one, one of the other key drivers, which would, it demonstrates our success um, in the UK and I think would be absolutely required for an event to happen elsewhere, which is this is a, this is an 
an industry event and a group that is run by the experts for the experts. And that's why it's such a, a content and communication rich environment. I must admit, one of the things that kind of stands out in my mind when you talk about doing those online polls during RAG is that whereas you have the degree of anonymity that people you know, give their feedback and you're seeing the graphs change on screen as people provide different answers to questions uh, you know, that the presenter's just given to the audience, but then you immediately then spark conversation. And maybe some of those people have anonymously given their answers, then start talking about the answers that they've given straight away. Because it's not so much about hiding their identity. It's about allowing a lot of people to participate in one way in an interactive exercise, but then immediately splitting that off into a situation where individuals might start speaking up and contributing to the conversation. And it actually encourages people to be more open and talk more freely funnily enough to have those things because then you start commenting on you know why did you say you know, why why do you think this why did he think that what what are the what is the variety of opinion in the room and sometimes conferences aren't very good at allowing space for a variety of opinion or people to have disagreements about priorities sometimes it's all very much this is the right way to do it and everybody's a little bit timid about actually speaking up and saying, well, I don't agree with that because it seemed to be challenging or impolite to do it. So I think it's very healthy, that aspect of it. Uh, and uh, very, and I can't think of any Absolutely. example. I can't think of any other example where I've really seen that happen very much. I mean, Dan, I don't know if, if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, uh, getting people to participate, you know, people feel vested in an organization if they can participate in it, even if it's in a very minor way. So anything you can do, um, you know, I, you know, I reminded when you get direct mail, right? Like they try to get you to, you know, clip out a coupon or put a sticker on something because they want you to feel like you're participating in this, uh, you know, this ordering of something. And uh, it's just a natural uh, human thing. And um, anything you can do uh, is great. And you can get people to participate and feel part of it. And of course, that's one of your strengths, Dan, you know, in terms of what you do with Black Swan and the way, you, you know, you communicate and deal with people is that you're kind of generating a community around yourself using the Black Swan brand and obviously the work that you do at TRI. So is there any tips perhaps you can give, particularly with your expertise on web and web communities to Rob as to ways that he could exploit you know, and, and generate this feeling of participation and bring people in who perhaps who aren't currently so involved or don't don't know so much about RAG? You know, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this, uh, Eric, how, you know, so few people maybe contribute articles or, you know, feel like they have a worthy enough opinion to, um, but I think everybody in this business is an expert in some aspect of it and could, you know, contribute something very, uh, very greatly. And that's kind of my philosophy of Black Swan is I try to make, I try to bring out the expertise of the person I'm interviewing and it works. They, people love it, you know, and at the same time, I'm not just delivering news. I'm delivering content that kind of explains what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah, wise words, wise words. It also makes you think about one of the participant organizations in RAC, BT, how they've been fabulous uh, in recent years in terms of, having people at different layers with, I mean, they have a large, uh, organize, they have a large team that deals with risk and revenue assurance, but they actually bring people from different layers, different level of seniority to the meeting as well. They're not just 
saying here's the top person and having that person solely turn up so we're kind of getting it's it's a kind of a, a training and educative ex- environment that works at many levels and as you say dan um perhaps the person at the top isn't always the person who's expert in some field maybe it's somebody uh, further down in terms of seniority but has the really detailed knowledge that other people would benefit from hearing and sharing and they should be involved in the conversation too yeah and the and plus the the upper level guy is going to be very couched in what he says because right i mean <laughs> you know it's, he's got to be politically correct right the, yeah i remember the C, cio of um of Verizon attended the conference I attended must have been five or six years ago. And, you know, he gave up and gave the keynote, but, and then he left, you know, shortly thereafter, but he left his Lieutenant there at the meeting. And he discussed freely with all of us when we had the panel discussions and, and in a way that Verizon's uh, CIO would never be able to, you know, con- converse about what's going on. Yeah, that's a good story. That's a good story. So, mm-hmm. so Rob, you know, kind of moving towards the end of our time together here now, perhaps we can talk a little bit about what you see as being, you know, your immediate priorities for RAG, uh, how you anticipate things will go in the next meeting, the next year, the year after that. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, so immediate focus for RAG is, well, there are two two immediate focus points that spring to mind. One is is the next session, the spring session, the first of this year. Um, so we're trying to look at that. But I think there's there's a much bigger focus on the possibility of a two day event in summer. Um, so that's really where where most of my efforts and, and the committee effort is going at the moment, trying to really expand on the group, make it a much wider wider net we cast to, to try and get people along, swell the numbers, swell the dynamic the group as well um, retain its integrity and the number of operators that arrive and want to come along and learn um, but that all comes at a that all comes at a cost um, and whether that cost is financial or whether it's time uh, and effort um, these are the things we need to we need to really focus on we are we're a very mature group um, that meets three times a year but our level of maturity is is around the age of the group and the content that's given to the, the day what we need to do is we need to become far more public facing in what we're doing. So we need to shout about ourselves a bit more. We need to make sure that we are working more intelligently to uh, publish ourselves out online, uh, to make sure that we're sharing and to make sure that the public facing elements of the ranks, like the website, are updated and, and fit for purpose. And, yeah, but- and for the people who are listening who are kind of hearing about RAG maybe for the first time or don't know very much about it, but maybe interested how do you how would you recommend that they start getting involved or maybe start participating in some way you know contributing helping you know they say many hands make light work so is there a way that people can help yeah and uh, absolutely absolutely so we are always looking for for new speakers and new members as well to come along and and even if they're not going to be having a designated speaking slot or presenting something uh, we, we're still keen to make sure that their voices are being heard from the from the guys in the room who are attending. Um, if you want to get involved, you just have to go onto the website or, or you know, email uh, email inquiries at riskandassurancegroup.net. Um, email me directly at rob.chapman uh, at cartesian.com and we'll get you onto the membership. Um, we'll make sure that you get the communications that come out, the meeting invites, and you're also then given access to the previous meeting collateral and presentations as well. So there's a lot of a lot of quality of history and information available to to members when they join. Yes, yeah, very valuable yeah. stuff, and also it kind of reminds me as well of that 
I think when the, the route began, you know, it was quite hard to share information, even though, you know, obviously we work in the communications industry. It wasn't that straightforward, whereas today, you know, guys like Dan share information all around the world. You know, he's, you know, he, he'll, he'll develop his own website. He'll put stuff on there that's subscriber only. And, you know, you've got organizations like Google that, you know, do, can do tremendous things that you didn't used to be able to do. So really the information sharing capacity is there. We just need to get that content up and share yeah, it. Exactly. So it's an excellent opportunity for, for people to get involved. And it's really, I think it's probably a better time than any other time before to get involved as we, as we try and evolve the group even more. I mean, we, we changed the name last year from the Revenue Assurance Group, which it has always been since its uh, inception, to the Risk and Assurance Group. Yes, but that name was no that longer is. really that appropriate. I mean, and I don't mean to be rude to anybody change. who was a Revenue Assurance Manager in the room. <laughs> and obviously, there was lots of Revenue Assurance Managers in mm. the room. Uh, but at the same time, increasingly, the talks weren't about Revenue Assurance, were they? And that's because increasingly, the people, even if they had Revenue Assurance in the job title, they were doing other things too. So and that's it, just know, it. I mean, appropriate. When we opened up the group for more people to come along, um, it wasn't just for more people in Revenue Assurance to come along. Um, it wasn't just for vendors to be able to attend. It was so that other people who don't have Revenue Assurance in their title uh, can come along. It's if you are a telecoms professional and you have a vested interest in the technology or the methodologies or the problems we all face, then you are welcome to come along. And so what kind of speakers would you like to – apologies to interrupt – what kind of speakers would you like to see more of? in the future, in the rag, for maybe next year and the year after? I think one of the obvious ones is going to be around the fraud side of things. Um, it, it's still quite a niche activity, um, and it was something that was, I think, previously in the group, if not formally. Um, fraud was talked about because of the, the synergies with assurance activities. Um, but I'd like to see more, more fraud come back in. I, I'd like to see a, a better inclusion of um, enterprise risk management. Um, I'd like to hear more about the technologies and one of the big buzz buzz terms of recent years is big data, you know. Um, so you know, let's get let's get the experts in to talk about it and the data side of it, the analytics. You know, even if it's not revenue assurance, revenue analytics is still a very, very big area of interest. Um, you know, th- th- those are some of the key areas that come to mind. Um, the Internet of Things, um, data security. I'd like to, to like to see more around data security, and not just the security of the transfer and handling and storage of data but actually t- start to talk somewhat about ethical responsibilities of organizations when it comes to data handling. Indeed. I remember you talking at one time, one of the meetings about um, uh, filtering of content on the internet mm. and who does that, which of course is huge, but not necessarily always seem to be related to the activities that uh, a revenue insurance manager would do. Dan, do you have any words of advice here as to what you would want to see on your ideal agenda for an event like this? I mean, I'm getting, I, you know, I felt a little bit flat-footed when I went to the um, MEF show, you know, the Metro Ethernet, and uh, but that's where it's actually happening. A lot of the in- emphasis in the industry is shifting from the OSS BSS to more of the, um, how are you going to, you know, handle these um, telecom cloud services? You know, it's, it's a huge issue. And so that's another one I would say has got to be top of mind because it really affects, you know, the whole goal of this SDN, you know, software defined networks is to make, the network more efficient. And um, to make the network more efficient, you also need to have that tie into the BSS, you know, what's going on with the customer, what's going on with network utilization overall and optimization. So all these issues are related. And um, so the network side, not just the BSS side, is what I would add to what you've already said, which is great. 
Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, and this is it. The costs are changing for running these businesses, but also the business models are changing a lot, and we have to move with them. We're no longer in a position where we're just assuring the number of minutes that we build to customers. Well, models are much more dynamic, and that was reflected a lot in some of the recent talks that we've had at RAG, isn't it? Uh, right, uh, absolutely. I think I think it was actually one of your points that you raised uh, when we were talking about um, things like uh, re- regulatory uh, guidelines and targets and, and what the focus should be. I mean, so many of, of the, say, your, your mobile, your cell and your cell companies are moving to a flat fee model. Uh, and then suddenly actually making sure the customer gets the right bill is, is very, very simple. What you pointed out, which is much harder, is with the likes of content and, and video content available, um, actually making sure that the the transmission and, and the the metering of the data is equivalent for, the, for one item of content across two different providers. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is under under the bonnet and under the hood is where regulation should be affecting. So. Well, I mean, you know, you think about things like Netflix, which now takes up one third of internet capacity in North America during yeah. peak watching hours, and the idea of what drives revenues and what drives traffic is completely different to our previous understanding of how networks worked and what will continue to drive them in future. So we need to adapt. So uh, I think our time is nearly up. Rob, if you want Especially to Especially with just... the likes of... Uh... Sorry, go ahead. I was just on the Netflix point. I mean, they're now cracking down on their proxy servers um, so that they're really, really driving, driving some of their messages home as well around cross-border um, activity. Exactly, though, of course, in Europe, it's going the other way because we're going to get rid of geo-blocking in Europe. So <laughs> these things, you see, we need to discuss these things. It's yeah. absolutely crucial to business well, models, yeah. Um, on, on, my, on my roadmap for either the, the spring or the, the summer session is going to be getting, uh, getting somebody in to talk specifically around, um, around the likes of video content security. So, Fascinating. Yeah, well, hopefully so. Hopefully so. Watch this space. Indeed. So again, for anybody who's who's listening and maybe intrigued to get involved, can you sum up? You know, give us the the, the killer punchline reason why people should get involved and take part and participate and come along to Rack. Um, yeah. It's, so it's it's free. It's regular. Um, it is a safe environment for discussion and thought and sharing. Um, it is run by experts for experts. So it's it's not a sales pitch activity and. It's very, very much an interactive and knowledge share environment. Um, you've got to come along to, to really, truly appreciate it. Um, so get in touch. Well, I think I asked for one reason. You just gave me half a dozen, but that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we, we have donuts. Anyway, oh, there's the big killer the donuts. <laughs> we always have donuts. <laughs> great, great. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today, Rob. Thank you very much for being on the guest on the podcast. No, thank you. Thank you both for your time. Uh, And Dan, it was lovely to catch up with you again. Absolutely, Rob. Thank you. Well, what can I say, Dan? We had a very enjoyable conversation, full of optimism for RAG's future. But sometimes I wonder if there's more we can do. The volunteers who run the RAG do a tremendous job, supported by the generosity of hosts Cartesian. As a consequence, most UK telcos choose to attend on a regular basis, and we also receive visitors from utilities and overseas telcos, plus we've often incorporated talks from remote speakers, like yourself. But the amount of work involved doesn't change that much if you're running an event for an audience of 30 or 300. 
There have been three RAG meetings a year since its inception in 2004. Now, Dan, you're an experienced journalist, researcher, and presenter at conferences. What would you say are the main two or three things RAG needs to do in order to build on its existing success, but extend the formula so it can engage with a wider audience around the world? Well, Eric, um, I think it's sometimes surprising how much you can do on a small budget. I mean, we're fortunate to have things like uh, LinkedIn that allow you to pinpoint people around the world with very narrow specialties. Well, I think that that's the number one place to go to, uh, you know, to ask people directly, do you want to get involved? And I think member, get member drives are key. You know, uh, I'm sure that the same thing happens in the UK as in the US. Um, printing postcards and uh, printing business cards is incredibly cheap nowadays. And the, it's one of the most affordable things because... There's nothing that gets uh, gets to somebody's desk better than a postcard, I think. And so I would urge uh, that being used as a teaser, you know, either a couple of weeks ahead of time, sending a postcard out to people. It's a really nice way of um, reinforcing your message. In addition, of course, to all of the uh, emails and all of those things, which tend to, you know, it's kind of cluttered environment, of course. Now, another thing I've always suggested, and I'm, I'm surprised that the conferences and, and uh, meeting shops don't do is conduct more surveys at these events. Uh, the survey, in my vision, would be you have it maybe the first 10 minutes of the conference, you know, as it starts. You get people to answer questions. The questions can be prov- provided by people who are coming to the conference. Maybe they ask one multiple point question, uh, one multiple choice question, and, um, you know, those are the questions that are asked of the people up front. And then if you prepare a PowerPoint ahead of time, all you have to do is plug in the numbers to kind of have a fancy little chart showing what people said. So these are a couple of ideas that I had that, um, you know, might be useful. Great suggestions, Dan. Thanks for that. Well, I'm afraid we've reached the end of episode 24 of the Comms Risk podcast. You can listen to this podcast and to the 23 episodes that came before it by visiting commsrisk.com or search for commsrisk on the iTunes store where you can subscribe to the podcast for free so you'll never have to worry about missing a future episode. And after you've listened to all our other interviews and debates, you'll still find that commsrisk.com is worth visiting on a daily basis because we're always updating the site with news and op-eds from contributors around the world. That's all for this show. Thanks to Rob Chapman for being today's guest and to Dan Baker, my trusty co-host. I'm Eric Prieskamps. Thanks for listening.